What is the answer to 99 out of 100 questions? Money. Look, Mental, these jokers have got a lot of money and it belongs to me. I want to know who they are and what they're doing with it. I'm sorry about that, man. I really am. Money does bad things to people. There ain't no excuse for it. Money. 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 I'm going to say money. And I'm going to say welcome to the We Are Money podcast brought to you by Beasley Mitchell and Company. I am your lovely host, Brad Beasley. Yes, I'm looking dark and <laughs> I was just going to come up to you, today. David, as, uh, the other co-host. David, you're looking extremely tan today. Yes, I um, should be tan. I've yes been in, the, in one of the happiest places on earth. Oh, really? Where's that? Uh, McDonald's? Actually, the IRS. Actually, I think it's the the Denver airport. With, <laughs> it's the Dallas Dallas airport with Chick Fil A and Waterburger in the same place. And Waterburger, it's like yeah. heaven, unless you're a cow or chicken. So if that's where I connect to go to heaven, then that sounds fantastic to me. Yeah, actually, since since we're here in Las Cruces, you have to connect through either Dallas or Chicago before you can go to heaven. Okay, and, and hmm. hell's hell's through Phoenix, I believe. Right? Correct. Through, Correct. Okay, just want to make sure. So once again, welcome, David, uh, and also we have Rebecca Deeser. Hello. Hello, we have Lauren Grazina as well. Hello there. And we're going to introduce you to a, another person. We're going five deep here in the uh, Beasley Mitchell studio. This is our nickel package, Brett. Oh, it's a nickel <laughs> package. I like it. I like it. I like it. So we'll immediately jump into our segment that, that uh, David always asks our new guests. What, what would you say you do here? And with us today is Robert Garcia. Robert, welcome. Thank you guys for having me. Long-time listener, first-time caller. All right, all right. <laughs> so, Robert, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, let's see. I am a first-year staff accountant here at Beasley Mitchell Company. I started in January. I uh, originally was an intern, and I've been interning for about three years. Okay. And you're, you're, you're from the uh, far east side of the country and from Carlsbad, New Mexico. Yes, I am. Okay. Well, sounds good. And... Uh, Robert, I understand that you've been working on a few things that some of our clients have had questions on regarding uh, crowdfunding. Yes. So today I would like to talk about crowdfunding. And first we need to figure out what crowdfunding actually is. So according, according to Investopedia, crowdfunding is the use of small amounts of capital from large number of individuals to finance a new business or venture. Okay, so small amounts of capital from large amounts of people. That's yes. not crowd surfing at all. That's not it at all. Okay. All right, keep going. <laughs> yeah. So nowadays we'll have uh, websites like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and GoFundMe that focus on crowdfunding. And so what they do is myself as like, say, I have an idea, and but I don't have the capital for it. Like say I wanted to create a pun-based uh, board game. Okay. But I don't have uh, the capital to produce the game. I will start a campaign on Kickstarter, Indiegogo. And what I'll do is I'll have the amount that I need to uh, fund my game and I will also and I will also have like a certain date that I need this month this money by and if people are interested they can donate and they donate okay. uh, through credit cards so now the question I have on a lot of that stuff with the the donation piece of it is that if if I'm if I'm investing in your fantastic new revolutionary board game that you're going to put together what do I get in return so there are three types of uh, crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. um, 
if I'm setting something up, it's going to be a reward-based crowdfund crowdfunding. Okay. So essentially, I would set up, you know, if you donate a certain amount, you would get this reward. Okay. So if hmm. you donate, like, say, $50, then, oh, you get a copy of the game. Okay. And uh, the person who sets up the campaign uh, determines, like, what type of rewards are given out. Okay. And those type of rewards are deductible as expenses in your business. Okay. And so, all right, so we got the reward one, and then what else do we have? So there's also donation-based, and okay. this is more of... Uh, what you would find on a GoFundMe. And what you would do is, like, say someone has trouble, they have, they've incurred a lot of expenses, like, like medical, medical bills, right? Mm -hmm. Like medical and legal fees or something like that, and they can't afford them, then they will set up a page and an amount, and they will ask, you know, people, like, hey, this is my story. Uh, I need some help. And then people will donate to that. There was one uh, site that I saw that I actually had frequented a few years back that was actually kind of interesting. It was uh, a site where they put out clothing, like clothing designs. And so it was like a men's clothing deal. And so I said, all right, here's this jacket. Do you like this jacket? Yeah, that jacket's cool. We're going to try to sell it for like 300 bucks, but you can crowdfund us and you can get it for 75. And so, but it, but if it doesn't fund, if you mm -hmm. don't get enough people that liked it, so to speak, mm -hmm. then they wouldn't do the production run. Then you actually got your money back. Yes. Is that oh. one way that actually works? Yes. Actually, uh, Kickstarter says on their website, you, your credit card that you put in your donation for will not get charged unless the uh, campaign is fully funded. So okay. it will not charge you unless it's fully funded because it's, it's kind of a way of like, you know, instead of me putting out a product, hoping people will buy it, it's kind of like, okay, do you want this product? Mm -hmm. do you, would you like to back this idea? And if it gets funded, then that's when you get charged. And I kind of liked it from my standpoint when I looked at it because you could buy a, a, a let's say in this case a jacket was the example i was using a jacket and you could buy it for 75 dollars. and as more people liked it it mm -hmm. got more expensive uh, and with the goal of once it got to the you know goal of having you know let's say two thousand people like it then it right. was three hundred dollars okay and so then they would do a production run and trying to start selling it for three hundred dollars so you kind of made an investment to try to get in on the cheap side which i love being on the cheap side sometimes it's kind of fun so since you're receiving a gift or like a jacket in exchange for your contribution, it's not the same as purchasing equity in that investment. Correct. Okay. But there are equity-based crowdfunding websites, but the SEC, right now the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission, they're working on guidelines uh, to manage this, but they don't have set rules yet. And see, that's where I think it gets difficult from an equity exchange standpoint, because we do some work with clients who do what's called PPMs, private placement memorandums. And so they, there's a lot of work and it's a state by state security laws depending mm -hmm. on how you can do this private placement as opposed to a publicly traded public placement type of thing which runs through the SEC and those kind of things. Private placement more is, is used in you know, real estate ventures or different mm -hmm. things that we see around here. But there's a lot of rules. I mean, the PPMs, Dave, are 100 pages thick. Yeah, and you have to make sure that the people that are investing in that, that actually the people that you are approaching to invest in that are usually accredited investors, meaning that they have so much in assets, so much in liquid assets, and are fully capable and demonstrate that capability to un to understand and appreciate the risk that they're going into. The, the deal with these um, crowdfunding campaigns are that, I mean, you're doing it on the internet, so anybody could be doing it. You have mm -hmm. anybody from somebody who is a Wall Street whiz to somebody who just figured out how to turn on a computer and connect to, to Safari. 
Why would you talk to your mother like about your mother like that? Well, she still hasn't figured out how to connect, so, okay, so well, we're, we're okay there. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah, okay. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> David put me up to that one. <laughs> <laughs> so then let's go back to the other issue that we had talked about, about these GoFundMes. We see a lot of those. Now, um, let's have two discussions. One, let's have the discussion of legally, is it deductible? Well, if you talk to most of our clients, they would all say, of course, I'm doing it for charitable purposes. Mm-hmm. But is it really? Robert? No. Uh, as you guys mentioned in episode five of this podcast, in order for a charitable deduction to be deductible, it has to meet 501c requirements. And a GoFundMe campaign does not meet those requirements. Which means it has a charitable purpose. The, pur- the organization is mm-hmm. accredited by the IRS as a 501c3. And then also the, the part where I think it gets, where the GoFundMe gets you is, is that you cannot have specific direction to those charities as to where they can spend the money. Mm-hmm. We get this a lot. I get a client that calls up and says, hey, I want to make a uh, donation to this guy I met at church that needs some money. If I make it through the church and tell the church to give him the money, I can get the donation, right? Well, not technically. The church has the right to interfere in there and and say where the funds go. So Mm -hmm. it seems like we're more in the gift exclusion territory with the GoFundMe stuff for medical expenses or if you feel like you're making a donation for a charitable purpose rather than a, a charitable donation itself. I would agree, yes. See, and I, I always wonder whether that's income to the people as well. Like, that's a weird... Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Well, I believe it would be considered income. Well, I, th- I, think it, I think it depends on whether the... If, if you're doing it saying I'm the people are... That would be the tough part is trying... Because it's such based on intent of of whoever's giving the money. I mean, if you're giving it at a detached, detached generosity, then it technically is a gift. But if you're giving it for some return then it could be some sort of uh, income. Okay, so if I start a GoFundMe campaign because I need a Lamborghini, there's a legitimate <laughs> business reason for me right. to have a Lamborghini. I can't right. think of it right now, but I need that. <laughs> is that a charitable donation, David, if you gave me $1,000 on my GoFundMe campaign to get me one two one two hundred 250th of the way to my Lamborghini? I would actually still be able to, I think I could be able to argue that it's a it's a gift because if I give it to you, I'm not expecting anything else in return. If not a was, ride in the Lamborghini if, or anything? If, there was, if I was expecting a ride, right there, that piece of information right there switches mm-hmm. it to income, in my okay. opinion. Where if I'm saying, you know what, Brad's a good guy, I like him. You know, we're talking fantasy. Here. <laughs> 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 not the Lamborghini about David liking me. Clearly none of this is real. <laughs> none of this is real. Um, then, then, um, then here you go. Here's two dollars. You're a thousand, one thousandth of away from your new Lamborghini. Then that's a, a gift there. See, sir. Now, David, would you have? Would you consider having this appraised as a viable vi- business venture so that you could own one two hundredth of Brad's Lamborghini? Well, that then. I mean, I think all these are good questions, actually, <laughs> just because then that would be more of a capital investment into whatever you're buying. And now you right. may be joint owners with that, which isn't technically income, but now you have an ownership in that Lamborghini. I mean, we're talking about all these issues and they're, yeah, they're joking, but there's going to be some cases. I, I see those coming if there haven't been already with these, with these campaigns. I can, I see, can some, see people wanting the money yeah. back. I can see yeah. people saying, all right, yeah, we gave, uh, you know, we, there was a, a crowdfunding and we gave you, they wanted to raise $10,000 for the medical bills for some child and they mm-hmm. raised $50,000. Yep. All right. Well, who, who got the extra 40 and where'd they spend it? And I could almost see some type of like, Hey, are, is that really going where it's supposed to go? Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So Grazina, the question to you is given all these facts, not what the law says, 
should we change the law to allow GoFundMe to be deductible and or income and or provide guidelines? I think that that's going to open up a lot of doors for a lot of questions and there's there needs to be specifics set in place and I think having it set up so that only if it's 501c3 that's deductible I think mm -hmm. we need to keep it like that because otherwise there's just too much room for error and too much room for wiggling and squeezing yeah because I mean I could see scenarios where it's like okay in, in legitimacy David needs a nanny so he has GoFundMe for a nanny well, then I also need my Lamborghini. And so I say, hey, Dave, I'll give you, I'll go fund you some nanny. You go fund me a Lamborghini. None of us have income or expense. We all just, now we just shifted money between all of us. Exactly. I you think know. there needs yeah. to be specific boundaries. And, and technically the, um, the way the tax code is written is if there is a bartered for exchange, that's technically income on both sides. So if, you know, some, I think somebody approached me one time um, saying, well, I, I can't, I can't afford to pay you for your legal services, but can I just give you services for my, for mine here? And I said, well, that's great, except the state of New Mexico won't accept 8.3125% of that for gross receipts, so I'm out. <laughs> right. So, Robert, what else is about interesting stuff you got for us on crowdfunding? Well, I think that about covers it. Um, of course, you know, income from crowd crowdfunding uh, will be treated as income unless it is a loan that must be repaid, capital and exchange of equity interest, which we talked about, mm -hmm. and gifts made out of detached generosity and without a, any quid pro quo. And I got that those three statistics from the Journal of Accountancy article on crowdfunding. So Okay, now, now quid pro quo, when you fire that, that's calamari, isn't it? When you, yeah. When yes. you fry that up. Yeah, it has to be fried so, up yes. for the specific yeah. salt. Yes. I think that's squid pro quo. Squid pro quo. Squid pro quo. Yes, squid pro quo. Okay. Mr. Powers. <laughs> I'm sorry, I guess I blew all of mine for my for our segments later. Well, Robert, thank you very much. And once again, if you have questions on crowdfunding or any of the other uh, activities, feel free to hit us up on the uh, Twitter feed at Beasley Mitchell or on Facebook at uh, Beasley Mitchell and Company. You're listening to the Beasley Mitchell and Company podcast, We Are Money. And now we're moving on to my favorite segment, If Brad Ruled the World. Brad, well, we are back with this segment and prove to me again that you have not seen or read or heard or thought of these questions at all. No, I have not. I, I might have thought of them, but I've probably, <laughs> I have never uh, seen what you have written down. Got some good ones Fair for enough. you today. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. So we have 10 questions here for Brad. If Brad ruled the world and his opinions on everything. All right. Question number one. Should employers be required to give employees vacation time? Oh, gosh, this is a double-edged uh, sword here, considering I have uh, oh, four employees in the, in, uh, the room. in the room with me. <laughs> no um, pressure. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a standard that Europe does. Europe has a requirement that you everybody gets two to three weeks vacation. If you're in any type of money handling position, you must take at least two weeks straight off, mm. uh, which is actually surprising. That's because it goes over a payroll segregation cycle, of segregation duties. And actually what it works out to be is if you have more than like 20 employees, you actually end up having to have 21 employees to cover for everybody that's got to be off during all the other times. So they look at it from an economic development. Um, I don't think there should be a requirement that employers must provide, you know, two or three weeks. I think that it would be nice if everybody would take that time off 
um, to go ahead and re- recharge their mind, but I think it's hard to, to mandate vacation personally. Okay. Question number two, what is one law that you would institute of all, requ- of all sit down or table service restaurants? Uh, I would go with it. All sit down or table service restaurants have to have uh, tortilla chips and salsa. Yes. <laughs> yes. See? That is a great idea because I think that it just it lets you converse over the chips and the salsa. It lets mm-hmm. you. It's also economically viable because then they end up ordering. We order queso or right. we order guacamole or if we're like at an Italian restaurant, we might order I don't know some cheese dip. I'm sure they'd come up with some type of Italian cheese dip mm-hmm. of some kind. Uh, but I think chips and salsa should be at every every restaurant, no matter what kind. I'm a little surprised by that, thinking that you said chips and salsa and not chili cheese Fritos. Well, that's pretty narrow. Chili cheese Fritos. You know, I would have chili cheese Fritos. Okay. However, I think as because I'm a benevolent leader. Right. You know, I would want just chips and salsa in general. And that's really just a modification of chips and salsa. Okay. Right. Yes. It really It's chips. <laughs> it's salsa on chips. Yes. Okay. Got it. <laughs> All right. Question number three with the this coming up next uh, month, what is the best and the worst summer Olympic event? Best and worst summer Olympic event. Okay, the worst one is the biathlon. Okay, or is that a winter event? I don't know what that is. Okay, so which one, which one is the one? Which <laughs> I is think the, one the biathlon's they... the winter because that's skiing oh, and shooting. Skiing and sh- skiing. That is a terrible summer sport. It is the worst summer sport. <laughs> Excellent point, Brad. You did get that one right. <laughs> That'd be terrible because there's no snow. Yeah. <laughs> the well, rocks make it really <laughs> I'm going to go with ice skating <laughs> for 400. <laughs> I keep falling in the lake. Okay, so that's 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 the worst summer Olympic one. Um, quite honestly, let's see the best one. I, I still think track and field. I still think the hundred meter dash and 200 meter dash are still the best, most fun to watch. Um, okay. But in, as firm as, as far as the, it just seems like there's a couple that like have no skill involved whatsoever, except that they just happen to be doing it. Um, like it's like, like that biathlon thing. That's why I was in my head. So I, I would have to go with biathlon in the winter and then, and then, and then the running is my favorite. Okay. And then kind of related for question four. Um, it just came out um, that there seems to be a big report with a bunch of doping with Russian um, athletes. Yes. Um, and there is a push right now. I guess the anti-doping agency is saying that Russian athletes should not be allowed in the Rio games. Do you think they should or should not? My thought, just to put that out there, is they should because then it kind of creates more of a Rocky Four versus Drago type thing. Well, absolutely. I mean, we all know how that ended with USA 1. <laughs> so, of course, that's how that's going to happen to Adrian. Right? I must break you. Yes. <laughs> Um, but no, I think that, that there's a huge problem there and the doping. I mean, you, you saw even this weekend where Brock, Re- Brock Lesnar won the UFC 200. Now he's accused of doping. You had the main, uh, the main fight for the UFC this weekend. That guy, uh, had this, couldn't fight cause he found out the day before that he had taken some, some, uh, drugs that aren't correct. So I think there's a huge problem and I think that they need to have the, uh, uh, I didn't think they need to allow the Russian, they they, I think they should not allow the Russian athletes to compete. I think that they're just out of control over there. In Soviet Russia, and drugs Russia. take you. Drugs take you. <laughs> <laughs> well, question number five, are sports stadiums the best use of public funds? Okay, now I'm supposed to say that education and children and... and but and Dallas Stadium is really awesome. My legal team says that... <laughs> The children are our future. <laughs> I will tell you that that I'll go back to a lot of these things and then name one other type of public funding where it brings that many people together in some type of common camaraderie. And so you think of it from a community standpoint, 
We talked about this when we're talking about sports in college. Name one other event on campus where 50,000 people or 60,000 mm-hmm. people show up all wearing that same school, supporting and having the community around them. And so I think that those type of, of funds um, allow for uh, more community you know, uh, involvement, I think. So, yes, I, I do think they're, they're a use of public funds. Are they the best use of public funds? Well, no, but I think that there's, there's, a, they're a, good, there's a good place for them. Hmm. Another question. What magazine cover would you frequent if you world the world? This isn't a kid show. Field, <laughs> field and stream. <laughs> there you go. Sports Illustrated. Yes, swimsuit edition. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to leave that right there. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, question seven. If you could have a sixth sense, what would it be? And it doesn't have to be that you see dead people or anything. Okay, the sixth sense. What would, your, what would your sixth sense be? Okay, so as I think of the sixth sense, go through the five senses for me. <laughs> I'm asking the question. <laughs> okay, okay, we got sight, okay. hearing, got that one. smell, huh? touch, taste. Okay. I think flight. Flight? Is that a sense? Was, would flight I mean, be a sense? Or is that I more don't of an think act- so. activity? It's okay. more of like a, an ability. Uh, I would say reading people's minds, but I really don't want to read some people's minds. The ability to turn that... and turn off reading minds. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Turn off, yeah. So selective listening. Selective listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, what, Rebecca? <laughs> very good, very good. Question number eight. Should we have a global currency? I think that even with, if you had a global currency, one, okay, so step back. Yes, I think we should have a global currency. However, you end up with the same results in the fact that stuff will cost different in different parts based on its different mm. economic value. So you could argue that, I mean, the entire world now is based on the U.S. dollar and everything floats mm-hmm. based on the U.S. dollar so that you could somewhat argue that the U.S. has is the base currency for a lot of the stuff in the world. Um, however, I believe that the issue becomes is who controls the monetary uh. supply in a world economy because then you could have runaway inflation. And if it's the United States, we could just keep printing money if we had troubles. But, oh, sorry about it, Zimbabwe you're out of luck. So currency exchange could re-manifest itself in the difference in prices of the same good in different countries. Wow. And you didn't even use notes for that. <laughs> wow. Wow. Dr. Pete should be here. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, question number nine, if you could disinvent one thing, what would it be? Pokemon Go. Yeah. You said Pokemon Go. <laughs> like, honestly, I I disinvent Facebook. That thing drives me nuts. Uh-huh. I will tell you, it's just it just drives me up a wall, and I don't understand it. And I mean, if I don't talk to you on a regular basis, probably because I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really care what you had for dinner today. <laughs> so I'd probably disinvent that. And then the last question here, if you had to design a drinking game for the Republican National Convention, what would it be? <laughs> a drinking game for the... Oh, okay, I got this You're one. I got this one. I got this one. Okay, so I think that you either have every time Trump fluffs his hair, right? He you know, kind of <laughs> does the little fluffs his hair. I think you take a shot. Um, every time they say Hillary, oh my I gosh, think, I think you've got to take a quarter of a shot because it's going to be you're going to be out in the first hour. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, I think that I think those are the two really good ones. Right. And mm-hmm. Beasley Mitchell and Company does not condone drinking in any way or underage drinking at all. Absolutely, absolutely. I would have a funny one, but I'll tell you guys that one off air. Okay. Great. All right. Well, great job as always, Brad. Thank you. And now we move on to our fourth segment, which is David's Legal Corner. The information contained on David's Legal Corner is provided as a general public service. The listeners, if any, are advised to check for changes to current law and to consult with an attorney. 
This podcast is provided in English only as a courtesy to our hosts, as that is the only language they can speak. This podcast is not a simulcast in Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Danish, French, German, Farsi, Pork, Portuguese, Latin, Pig Latin, Klingon, Middle Earthian, Martian, or Spanish. It may be available in Braille once our current bumps are smoothed over. As a service to our listeners with ESP, you're welcome. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca. Some of us do hablas español mucho. Yes. Yeah, only when ordering. Gracias. Gracias, me gusta. Only when ordering. Yes. Tacos. Yes. <laughs> Tacos? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, today what we're going to talk about is kind of a current thing. Um, the uh, Pokemon Go app, this new app, which... Um, uh, Robert, why don't you fill us in on what the, uh, the Pokemon Go actually is? So Pokemon Go is an app that you can download on your Android and iOS device. Uh, and essentially, it's like playing the original like 90s game where you go out into the world and capture Pokemon, but in real life. So you set up and you join a team and then you just go out and you actually like go out in the world, not just like stay at home and play video games on your computer, but you actually go out there in the world and you try to capture Pokemon and you can see through your camera like like it'll use your GPS system to be like, oh, a Pokemon is over here near, near this area. And then you can actually use your camera to actually see the Pokemon in your reality. Okay. And, the, and from what I understand is that people can place Pokemons in various areas um, or um, call them to come to you and, yes. and things like that. So um, the, the reason this is on David's legal corner is that so far there have been a few things that, that you've seen with this. Of course, people have been driving and searching for Pokemons, which if texting doesn't, <laughs> right. doesn't work so well, then looking at your phone, trying to find these little creatures and all that. Extremely then, dangerous. Then there's another thing here, a question that um, came up is, does, poke, does placing a Pokemon character on private property without permission affect the owner's interest in exclusive possession of the property? Or is that also, is that also a violation? Uh, or are you trespassing by putting that on there? Um, hmm. Brad was nice enough to show us a, a, a little video with a gentleman spraying water on a couple of people who were trying to come onto his lawn because somebody had placed a Pokemon there. Yeah, absolutely. And kept spraying him and spraying him. It was actually absolutely hilarious. And, uh, you know, I just, it's, it's funny to hear everybody sit and listen about Pokemon and, and, and this whole phenomenon because I missed it. I've missed it now two times, um, because, uh, I was born and obviously I was already in high school when this Pokemon thing started, I guess, uh, back in the nineties. And now I'm, uh, excessively too old to be running around the, uh, uh, the area plus that requires some energy to go chasing <laughs> after these Pokemon. So I don't, I, I don't understand it, but it is very interesting from a, a legal standpoint about it kind of does have the boundaries of trespassing Dave. Yep. Yeah. So that, I mean, you've put something there and you've made it a place for other people to go onto um, the, 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 um, the, the thing that's going to that would be difficult to prove at this time is that just by placing the Pokemon there, have you harmed the person at all? Now, in some cases, if a mere um, trespassing, you actually don't have to cause any harm. If you trespass on somebody's property, you have technically created a tort, not a tart, like a Pop-Tart, but a Pop-Tort. Tort. A Pop-Tort. Um, against mm. them. So you, you have committed the act of trespassing. The problem that most of those don't get prosecuted at all is because there's no damage. I mean, you, what did you, you push down a couple blades of grass or you, you moved a couple rocks. There's no damage there. But... Um, there, another thing that we're looking at is, is there liability for placing characters on, on private property or in dangerous locations? I guess there's a case of somebody who they put a Pokemon, I don't know if they put it in a, in a, in a dip or a valley or something, and somebody went off a cliff 
because they were just looking at their phone going across there. You know what? Then thank you, Pokemon. Or is that Darwinism? Yeah. Take care Natural of yep. selection. Yes. yes. Exactly. Yeah. The mm. lemurs. The lemurs jump off the edge all the time, and we don't stop them. Mm. You know. But it's just it's so fascinating to me that people are doing this, and and there's a couple of creepy ones, obviously, where we saw where people are like running across, like you know, dead bodies and, yes. and stuff like that out in the desert, which is kind of like weird. What people would like place discovering the crimes by accident. Yeah. Exactly. So it's kind of weird. But even. Uh, where David and I happened to be last week, there was situations where you'd be trying to get somewhere and there'd be this group of people huddled around all with their phones sticking out going, I'm going to get it. And like, you, like I walked in front of them literally and kind of did like a little dance and nobody even moved. Like they didn't even <laughs> see because they were like just so focused on this Pokemon And there were thing. like 40 of them. And there was wow. like 40 of them. Yes. And so it's just, it's just very weird. This whole, this whole thing is just, is just very odd. And I think that even, in, especially like, for instance, where we were, we were in a, a place where it was excessive private property and these people mm -hmm. do persecute people for, for trespassing. But now you've, you've done this, but I could also see it go the other way. Let's say that you were a retail place. Let's say you're a place where you wanted high traffic. Let's say that you were a, uh, let's just call it, oh, I don't want to say Starbucks. Let's say you're a coffee shop. Mm -hmm. Okay. And okay. you wanted people to come. Based out of Seattle. Let's just say. So, so you're a coffee shop and you want people to high traffic. Well, maybe you start placing a whole bunch of Pokemon in your business and that's actually what people are doing uh, mcdonald's for instance has so you can also create pokey stops and what pokey stops are is a place that you can create on the gps and, <laughs> and uh, i'm sorry what are those called pokey stops pokey stops yeah. <laughs> used to have those in high school <laughs> so, so i guess i was i guess i was part of that so it's a place you can create on the map and uh that's where you can you know, get uh, Pokeballs and Pokemon <laughs> and Pokemon. So, um, Robert, we forgot to tell you this is a family show. <laughs> some uh, some establishments are putting up signs on their windows, though, that uh, the facility is for paying customers only because they've got people coming in to catch these these Pokemon and they're not spending any money there. They're just taking up space. Right. But what McDonald's is hoping that people will do is they'll come in, they'll use the Wi-Fi, they'll catch Pokemon and then they'll also actually like spend the day there because, you know, the idea of Pokemon Go is that people actually like get up and go and like, oh, wait, it's kind of like it's 3.30 in the afternoon. I've been catching Pokemon all afternoon. I'm kind of thirsty. Oh, wait, there's a Pokestop over here at this restaurant. However, as recent news reports have shown that the Pokemon Go players don't necessarily know where they are. That is also true. <laughs> what? How do they not know where they are? They're looking, aren't they looking through their phone? Yes. Okay, so how do they not know where they're at? I guess they're just focused so much on like just catching Pokemon. They get they get just trapped. fall off the side of a cliff. Right. They just fall off the side of a cliff. So let me ask you guys: If I made Pokétax, would you guys be more focused on your tax returns? If you guys could find deductions hidden in tax returns, like, that would be so much app. fun. <laughs> that would be like ooh on Schedule C is one. I got ooh, one. Look at that. I, I mean, got that one. the 1040 is already so much fun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I don't know how you can make it more fun just by adding Pokemon. You got to deduct them all. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, good one. Yeah, see, I, I've always wanted to have little, little figurines that people could get every every year by doing a tax turn with us. Like, you, like this year, you get one partner, oh, you get the next partner. Yeah, okay. collectible, and so I'd be happy with candy. Yeah, maybe we just do a digital. Then we don't actually have to build build the thing. So I thought you were going to say Pokeballs. But no, that's funny too. <laughs> well, David, that was a fascinating <laughs> legal yeah, corner. Yes. <laughs> so your question has to be then: Pokemon Go or no go? I'm a no-go because I was, I've missed it twice. Sorry. Pokemon Go. I want to be the very best that ever was. Go, Michelle. I'm going to say go, but still uh, use your common sense, as with anything. Okay, fun vampire. Or again, Darwinism. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Well, I think that's a good another 
good episode of uh, David's Legal Corner. We're going to move on now to um, our movie hero tax question. Now, once I learned that Robert was coming on here and was going to talk about uh, crowdfunding and everything, kind of started, started me thinking about, you know, how do these superheroes or movie um, heroes and villains fund their capital projects? The one that first got me going was thinking about, okay, how did the Empire fund the first Death Star? Then once that got destroyed, how did they fund the second Death Star? Well, the first one was, was the second one was the, from the insurance from the first one. I mean, we know that one. That was easy. <laughs> So do you think like first they issued like empire bonds or something? Well, I think that they had tax. I think the empire was taxing all the uh, outlying areas and was requiring taxes. And so they used the tax revenue to generate uh, either sufficient revenue to build the Death Star. Right. And if you can remember from the prequels, which is episodes one, two, and three. Uh, do we have to? <laughs> for, for this, <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, yes. Who started yes. out as Chancellor Palpatine, who later became the emperor. You know, he he uh, started the empire from inside that political system. So uh, the political system is not just one planet. It's a galaxy of planets. So there's like thousands of planets that they generate tax revenue from that can fund the Death Star. So then, you know, when you look at it, okay, so the first Death Star was probably funded through the tax activities and, and those kind of things. And so that was, that was really cool. And probably the second because a prudent investor would get insurance on their property. And so, After you know, this Death was Star, Death Star insurance. Yeah. This was yes. Death Star insurance. Unless so, they just had collision. So. Right. So <laughs> that's why the Empire Strikes Back and then the Return of the Jedi. That's why you have the, the partially built because they're in the process of doing a, a Section 10, uh, uh, 1033, yeah. uh, you know, a conversion. Basically, mm -hmm. I'm sure there's an extended period of time. Uh, under galactic tax law that they have to reinvest in the property. If not, they would just change the law. I'm sure they would just change the law. So they've reinvested in that. Now, like I said, now once the third one is destroyed and the Starkiller base is beyond me, I have no idea how they funded an entire planet. That, that's a good question because, you know, after episode six, Revenge of the, no, Return of the Jedi, mm -hmm. uh, they blew up, the, blew up the Death Star and killed the two uh, main political figures, uh, Palpatine and... And uh, Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. So then, after that, the galaxy would have been like if it, if you know, a movie actually exists in real life, uh, the galaxy would have been like a complete recession into a depression. Right. So, um, yes. so that brings the question: like, how did they get money to fund Starkiller Base? So well, I wonder. Yeah, I mean, so it makes me wonder: is if there is a GoFundMe or if there was a Galactic Bonds or something like that? There. Oh, there is a professor. I'm not sure which university he's from, but he did calculate the true cost of destroying the Death Star. And in his calculation, he estimated that galactic banking sector had assets that are about 60% of the, gal the galactic domestic product. And since those banks were heavily invested in the Empire itself and the Death Star specifically, that the collapse of the Empire uh, following this, the destruction of the second would have devastated the galactic markets and they would have been looking at a galactic bailout. A galactic bailout? Yes. So the Empire was too big to fail. Oh, yeah, absolutely, or too big to fail. Yeah. That's a great one. Good job, Dave. Well, yeah. I think also maybe if you look at Starkiller Base, it was hollowed out from a planet. So maybe there was some type of very rare mineral that they had or something like that in the planet when they hollowed it out through the mining process to create Starkiller Base. Maybe mm -hmm. they used that to fund 
you know, other activities. And like a super crossover, right. maybe it's like vibranium. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Vibranium from the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Absolutely. Sort of crossing over all these genres. It's all Disney. Yeah. So, but then you look at like all these other ones. We talked about Batman, I know, early on in one of our podcasts, and we talked about these. And uh, wasn't it in, uh, actually, it was in the movie with Groob and the Minions. Despicable, Despicable, me. Despicable Me. Remember, they had the bank that yes. funded all these activities. So yeah. I wonder if there's an underground bank that funds all these. Oh, I'm sure the villains yeah. have their own banks. <laughs> yeah. They're the I mean, same they banks. <laughs> They're the same banks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you have that and they have other people like, like Dr. Evil who... You know, n- number two just created corporations and actually had legitimate businesses, but then funded his mm-hmm. evil volcano lair with the sharks with laser beams attached why, to their heads. Yes. <laughs> why can't anybody have a cool volcano lair? Why has it got to be an evil volcano lair? I would have a cool volcano lair. I'd invite y'all. We'd come hang out in the lava and it'd be fun. It'd be good times. Yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. you can start a GoFundMe account so you can get a cool <laughs> volcano lair. Done. Beasley Mitchell <laughs> podcast. Go to GoFundMe right now. Brad's Brad, volcano lair. Brad's volcano lair. Come get your taxes done. It's going to be full of Pokeballs. Yes. <laughs> You'll lava it. <laughs> well, that's a great segment. segue, Dave, into our next segment, which is our word clips. Words and papers, words and books, words on TV, words for books, words of comfort, words of peace, words to make the fighting cease. That song's awesome. <laughs> yes, it's awesome. really bad. I love it. I love it. So, Dave, uh, apparently we have a new game that we're going to play here on the We Are Money podcast, and I believe it's something that you guys have come up with that's Punderdome. Yeah, there's this game out, a recent game that's out called Punderdome. It's really fun. You should check it out, um, especially if you love puns and enjoy the... I think or it's, if you hate puns. Or if you hate puns. But <laughs> if you like making people's eyes roll and getting that guttural, uh, then you should definitely check it out. So we're going to play it real quick here. Um, what's happened is uh, we have two uh, we have two words that we're going to associate and have to come up with puns real quick. The first one we've known for a while that's been our money category, our money word. So um, we'll have that. And the next one is a random word, and Robert is going to be our host, and he's going to get the ultimate decision of who wins each pun. So, okay, guys, are you ready to step into the Punder Dome? Dome, dome. Yes, I think okay. it's the answer. I think the answer. <laughs> is there a charge for it? Is it free? Or... Okay. Are there women there? <laughs> uh, there's a tax that will be presented to you at the end of the year. Okay, thank you. So, as David explained, uh, one word, which is a money term, th- uh, was given to us ahead of time, and I will give you a random word, which will be breakfast. Now, the goal is to connect with a pun, money and breakfast. Okay, money and breakfast. So if we will, uh, if we're ready to go, uh, Brad, why don't you start? I don't know. Like Game of Scones or something like that? Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> kind of, kind of. I don't, I don't see the, the the money part in there. But okay. I was thinking something like I, I went for a loan, but the bank kept on waffling. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Don't go bake in the bank. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Lauren? If this check bounces, I'm toast. all right and then robert has to come up with the winner on this one so i am going to give this to i'm going to give it to lauren career career limiting decisions (laughs) (laughs) so because lauren got it she gets a point and we're best doing best two out of three okay so then our next uh money topic 
is tax, and we have to connect it to sitcoms. Okay. So, like, a sitcom of How I Audit Your Mother? Oh. Yes. Oh. <laughs> wow. Darn it. Man. David? That's, that's good. <laughs> I'm, done. On it. I'm done. I'm David done. David out. I'm, I'm, I'm out. No. I'm out. Keep going. Uh, darn you, Brad. Okay, mine is How I Met Your Exemption. Okay. Okay. Not as good as Brad's. <laughs> I've got real CPAs of Las Cruces. I like that oh, one. Okay. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. And like of course, that. I'm giving it to Brad. Woohoo! All right. So Brad gets a point. Robert, you get your paycheck next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, and I forgot to mention: if by any chance we have a three-way tie, we will answer it with a quick pun, which I have here, but I will not give you until the moment. Okay. Okay. So the last one is our money topic is law, and holidays is our random topic. Law and holidays. Okay, that's interesting. All my mom, all my mom got me for Christmas was briefs. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good one. Good one. All right, Rebecca. I mine is not even a pun. It's just that this the greeting contained in this card is provided as a general public service. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. I want to go law or treating. Law or treating. Ooh. Okay. Mm. That's spooky. Nobody yeah. used torts, which is the word that David just taught us. <laughs> torts. Pop torts. Pop torts. I have nothing. You have nothing. I got nothing with law and holidays. <laughs> Sorry. So I'm going to give this one to David. Woohoo. All right. Three way tie. Three way tie. That okay. makes sense. <laughs> so to an- we're going to ask a quick pun now to settle who wins the game. I'm going to say a question out loud, and you guys have to respond. Whoever can answer this first with the pun wins the game why did the hunter's hair look so good why did the hunter's hair look so good why did the hunter's hair look so good um Hmm. pass because it was blowing in the forest trees no no that's (laughs) no i got nothing no Mm -mm. i guess we're all losers today ah he had some great moose. Ah. Ah. All right. Well, thanks, Robert, for nice. putting that together. <laughs> and we are now going to move on to the best code ever. And we'll dance all night. It's the best code ever. Some folks pay a lot. Others, they pay never. And if you don't comply, you'll go to jail. However, why would you not buy? It's the best code ever. All right. So what we kind of have here today is we're kind of looking at creating the best code that we can. And so what we're looking to is we're looking to the EU with all this Brexit and all that coming on and kind of some of the rules, not necessarily tax rules, but the tax kind of always blends into what they're trying to push for societal norms and that. So we're looking on weird EU laws. So on each of these sets, two of these are false and one of these are true. I want you to pick out which one is true. Okay, which one is true? True. Okay. Set one. Bombay mix, a popular snacks mix, was required to change its name to Mumbai mix to banish the taint of British colonialism. Or, number two, it was illegal to sell bananas or cucumbers that are too bendy or abnormally shaped. Or, three, every football, or as we call it in America, soccer, 
team in the EU must have the EU flag on its jersey for international competition. Which one is true? I'm going to go with number two about the cucumbers and bananas. Same. Um, number two. I'm going number three. Number three, jerseys. It was illegal to sell bananas and cucumbers no! that were too bendy or abnormally shaped. That has since been repealed, but that is true. But that is true. You <laughs> yes. are correct. You are right. correct. And that. Sweet. Um, so and then the number, this set number two here. Um, it is illegal to label bottled drinking water with anything that would suggest consumption would fight dehydration. Or number two, sunscreen cannot be labeled with an SPF reading, but must contain the length of time that an average person can remain in the sun before being burned. Or three, prunes can be labeled as a natural accident. Which one is true? I say number three is true. I'm going to say number two. I also say number two. Actually, number one. Actually, number one, Rebecca, getting that in there. It is illegal to label bottled drinking water with anything that would suggest it would fight dehydration because huh. EU scientists um, have not conclusively proved that water aids in hydration. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's concerning. And actually, prunes have were tried to be labeled right. as an actual laxative, but it, it was, wasn't allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, they've never eaten prunes. Yes. Then, okay, and then set number three here. First one, to be sold as a hamburger, the meat must contain at least 10% ham or other pig product. Or two, while it is legal to eat horse meat, it is not legal to eat the horse meat if the horse was your pet. Or three, corgis and 50 other breeds of dogs are not allowed to be bred in the EU. Which one is true? I'm going to go with number two. I'm going to go with number one. Number two. Number two. Number two is correct. It, while it is illegal, while it is legal to eat horse meat in the EU, you can't eat it if that horse was your pet. What if it's somebody else's pet? <laughs> it's just your pet, just, so that's okay. okay. That's okay. As long as it's somebody else's, you're you're good. There. It's okay because it's your dog. Okay. <laughs> oh. oh, awesome! Well, thank you guys for joining us, and uh, once again, Robert, thank you very much for the information on crowdfunding, GoFundMe, and Kickstarter. And Lauren and Rebecca, thanks again for joining us as well. And David looking very tan today i really appreciate it thanks brad you know you guys look really good and uh, hopefully we'll see you guys on the next we are money podcast follow us on facebook it's not over yet it is for me sister look i ain't in this for your revolution man i'm not in it for you princess i expect to be well paid i'm in it for the money Money. 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 I'm going to say money.